Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Uh, I'm actually flying solo today for this Week 10 preview. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, first of all, thanks. Uh, Football Outsiders is live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Some combination of me, Derek Klassen, and some guests from other uh, industry sites. doing fantasy content on Tuesdays and Fridays. And then Mike Tanier, Aaron Schatz, and others. Uh, doing the regular football content Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. So thanks for following along. But if you're also with us today, then feel free to hit me with all of your you know, fantasy thoughts, your trade requests, any questions. I'll have plenty of time to answer that. We'll probably let the classroom out a little early today since it's just me by myself. Before we get to the fantasy preview, let me mention too that Football Outsiders Plus is now on sale for just 99 cents a week for annual subscribers. It's a limited time offer. So get our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting information now. You don't want to miss out. It's just 99 cents a week. As mentioned, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe, or you can follow the link in the description of the show to get more information there. All right, let's hit on all of these games, go through the major narratives and some DFS thoughts on all the games, starting with the Falcons at Cowboys, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Dallas in the Dome. My major narrative question here is whether either Russell Gage or Olamide Zacchaeus could become a fantasy-relevant option while Calvin Ridley is away from the team. There's been some pops of that in recent weeks. I mean, Russell Gage had eight targets in Week 9. But the question here with him is that he only had zero the week before, despite playing 68% of snaps in week eight. So it's it's really more like four targets a week over the last two, just kind of oddly low, oddly high in the splits. Uh, Zacchaeus has had four, one, and three targets in his three games without Ridley so far in 2021. And while he had two touchdowns last week and has three for the season, overall, that's just a 1.0 touchdown surplus over 2.0 expected touchdowns. Those expected touchdown stuff, that's following the opportunity adjusted touchdown research that Mike Clay pioneered originally, looking at like where how far players are from the end zone, uh, how many air yards they are. So Zacchaeus has scored these touchdowns from longer range in a way where they're probably a little bit less predictive going forward than they would be if they were closer to the end zone. And if you just look at the sizes of these players, like they, neither one strikes me as a major red zone option. Gage is six foot and 184 pounds, mostly plays from the slot, but isn't like a Cooper Cup type of slot receiver, or maybe not like a Hunter Renfro slot receiver. He's more like a Robbie Anderson with the speed to get a little bit deeper, but probably not going to be scoring a lot of touchdowns, probably not even going to be force-fed a lot of targets going forward. Uh, and Zacchaeus, meanwhile, while he plays a lot on the outside, is just 5'8 and 193 pounds. So honestly, I don't think either of these receivers has the proper skill set to fill in as a true number one receiver. Uh, it's probably really going to be more Kyle Pitts' game to do that, although obviously teams are, are kind of grouping up on him and making it hard for him in fantasy as well. So I would say Gage, maybe Gage of the two has a little bit more value in your deeper fantasy leagues, but neither one of them is someone you should race to grab or, or race to start this week, even in what's probably a good matchup against the Cowboys. So from a DFS perspective, I mean, I would rather lean on Cordero Patterson again. He's up. He's definitely getting more expensive, but is it 6,600 in DraftKings? I still think that's $1,000 underpriced. He's had five to nine targets in seven straight games, 11 to 21 touches in seven straight games. He may not be a traditional running back, but he's getting the workload that you would expect. And while he does have a 2.2 touchdown surplus on the season, which is pretty high, he also has 4.8 expected touchdowns on the season. That's 13th among running backs, quote unquote, even though he's not a traditional running back. Uh, so I think it's pretty safe that he's a, he's a running back too in both standard and PPR leagues. And given the, the volume of receiving that he's seeing, he may be honestly higher than that uh, from a PPR perspective, which applies to, to at least most of the DFS platforms. So I would say he's a pretty good bet for this game for the week, for week 10. 
Next up, we have Saints at Titans. This is 1 p.m. in Tennessee, where it's going to be 48 degrees and clear. I had to do a little bit of a pivot here. This is actually where I thought Odell Beckham was going to end up landing, but we'll circle back to him a little bit later. Given that he's not on the Saints, my question then is how much of the shine is off of Adrian Peterson from a fantasy perspective after his Titans debut? That debut featured much more of a committee than I expected, certainly. Uh, Peterson had the best fantasy day, but it was 10 carries for 21 yards, salvaged it with the touchdown, just one catch for five yards on a target. Dante Foreman is the one that was really more involved than I would have expected going into the game uh, with five catch, or five carries for 29 yards. Jeremy McNichols, more along the lines of what I expected, seven carries for 24 yards and got the three targets. Uh, but his, his overall snap share was up a little bit too. He had been below 40% pretty much all year, was at 45% here. Foreman at 21% snap share, Peterson at 33%. Overall, while Derrick Henry was pretty much only an early down back, he did play between 59 and 81% of snaps every week this season. So Peterson fell dramatically short of that. And while Peterson did score the touchdown, I would say even the, the red zone work was a little bit more split than I would have expected. Peterson led the way with three red zone carries and two carries inside the five-yard line. But McNichols had two red zone carries and one inside the five as well. Foreman had a red zone carry too. So I would say if this continues, it would, it would really make Peterson a little bit less valuable in fantasy than I would have expected. For the week, I have him 30th in true talent among running backs and 31st in PPR formats given the matchup downgrade here. Um, by the way, they're playing the Saints. They're the number two DVOA run defense and a big cutter of running plays per game. So not a good spot for Peterson and not a good spot to rehab his value from a fantasy perspective. Uh, but the good news here is just that, you know, I think Peterson coming off the street had had less than six days to prepare for his first NFL game this season. The man is is 35 or 36 years old at this point. I can't quite remember. So to me, it's it's not totally unexpected that he may need some ramp up time. So I don't think it's a given that he won't end up being a Derrick Henry type of target or a carry share for the team, even if he's not nearly as effective as him. So I'm not giving up on Peterson being an RB2 down the stretch this year. I just wouldn't use him this week with that kind of expectation, especially in a really difficult Saints matchup. From a DFS perspective from this game, uh, the fact that, that Beckham didn't land on the Saints, I think makes it a little bit clear. Although I'm still digging a little bit deeper than you might expect here with Deontay Harris, costing just 4,000 in DraftKings, I think is modestly underpriced by $700. Uh, Harris, I don't think was anyone's idea of what a number one receiver would be for a team. He's very small, more of a shifty guy, traditionally a returner and a very, very good one. But you might be surprised to hear that he has a 16.1% target share for the season in seven healthy games. That's just behind assumed number one receiver Marquez Callaway at 17.4% and dramatically ahead of Traquan Smith at 9.3% so far. So he's getting more work than you would expect. Plus, Harris is a deep play threat. He's been very effective on a per-target basis from a fantasy perspective, averaging 2.1 PPR points per target. That's top 20 of wide receivers with 25 or more targets, ahead of guys like Debo Samuel, Amari Cooper, and Adam Thielen. I'm not saying Harris is that, and Harris wouldn't be that because he would never get that kind of target volume. But I will say that from a, from a DFS perspective where his price is pretty low, you could do worse filling out a lineup trying to save a little bit of cash on the back end of your lineups. Uh, thanks to Jared Brugler for the question. I'm going to hold all of the, the questions for who to drop, uh, who, to, who to trade for, et cetera, until the end. But keep hitting me with them because, again, I'm going to have plenty of time to cover these guys toward the end of the show. For now, I'll be with the, uh, the fantasy preview for Week 10. we got the Jaguars at Colts, 1 p.m. Eastern time in Indianapolis in the Dome. My major narrative question here is whether Michael Pittman has become a top 10 fantasy receiver. His production is kind of trending that way. 
He's up to 16.3 PPR points per game for the season. That's tied for 15th among all running back or all, among all wide receivers. And while he has a little bit of a surplus too, six actual versus 4.8 expected touchdowns for the season, that latter total is also the seventh highest among wide receivers for the year. And Pittman is six foot four and 223 pounds. I mean, he's got the build that you would expect from a prototypical number one receiver. And given that T.Y. Hilton is, you know, like has become very injury prone toward the back half of his career, I think he may play this week coming back from a concussion, but has missed most of the season. I don't think you can necessarily trust he'll be available for the fantasy playoffs. And so as such, Pittman is, is definitely trending towards the number one fantasy receiver. Right now, I'm projecting him for 13.5 PPR points per game for the rest of the season. That's 19th among running backs uh, in the PPR format. So it's just after Stephon Diggs, Robert Woods, and Adam Thielen, uh, and Amari Cooper as well. Uh, but just ahead of guys like Brandon Cooks, Hunter Renfro, Jerry Judy, and DJ Moore. Some of those names probably do have a better, bit of a better reputation from a fantasy perspective. So I think that may be a worth a consideration, whereas you may be headed towards your, your trade deadlines and your fantasy leagues. Pittman may be a little bit of a value right now if people haven't caught up to the fact that the second-year player is really experiencing a nice breakout. From a DFS perspective in this game, I'll take a look from the other side here with Dan Arnold, the tight end. He's still pretty inexpensive at 3,500 in DraftKings. I think that's 700 underpriced. I've been surprised that while his work has been getting consistent with the Jaguars of late, his DraftKings salary has only increased about $600 over his time with the team. But he's played 57% or more snaps for four straight games with the Jaguars, has a 19.6% target share. That's since week six is the ninth highest among tight ends. So I think uh, Arnold is actually relatively safe. Since the team has like suffered some injuries, most notably DJ Chark on the outside, Arnold has really been the major answer as sort of a, a shallow target threat, more so than even LaVisca Chenault, who you might think would thrive in that role. So I think Arnold is a safe option in the back end of your top 12 or so among tight ends and just isn't quite priced that way, that way from a DFS perspective. I think someone you can take an advantage of there if you if you want to save a little bit of money at tight end as well. Okay, next up, Browns at Patriots, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New England, 47 degrees and clear. Uh, the, the Patriots backfield is a pretty predicament this, uh, this week, so I'm going to go through the four possible scenarios that I could see with the injuries playing out. So both Damian Harris and Ramondi Stevenson, the primary bigger backs, what I would consider early down backs, even if Stevenson gets some later down work, uh, they both suffer possible concussions toward the end of the Panthers game in the fourth quarter. And so both of them are a bit of a question marks to play right now. So let's run through the scenarios. If both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson play, that's what I'm currently projecting as of midday on Friday. The projections have them 19th and 44th at the position in PPR formats. One interesting thing to note about that is that Harris, he's been kind of hot of late, averaging, uh, not even averaging, he's, he's taken 14 or more touches in five straight games and scored a touchdown or more in five straight games as well. But if you think back to earlier in the year, he had that stretch with 10 carries for 10 yards combined against the Saints and the Buccaneers. And those teams ranked first and fourth in run defense DVOA. So like particularly bad matchups, Harris is a guy that doesn't get a lot of work as a receiver. And so it makes sense that he was a bit sensitive to those tougher run defenses. Well, the Cleveland Browns this weekend are the number five run defense by DVOA. So I actually don't really think this is a tremendous spot for Harris, even if he plays uh, and that would also be true in the second scenario where Stevenson doesn't play and Harris does. I just don't think he's going to end up being more than a back-end RB2 for you this week, given the difficult matchup. Now, things get a lot more interesting if Harris is the one that doesn't play. And if you made me predict right now, I would think Harris is less likely to play than Stevenson from the reports that I've read. We'll get more info on that probably later today on Friday or on Saturday. But Stevenson, you know, he he kind of got buried in the early season, I guess fell into to Bill Belichick's doghouse for the early fumble. But if you look at it overall, he's actually been quite successful this season. 
He's got a 60% success rate on his carries, his eighth highest among running backs with 25 or more carries this season. So if you're saying just a guy keeping ahead of the sticks and stuff, Stevenson has been that, and he's a bigger back as well. It makes some sense. He also has 2.0 yards after contact per attempt, right in range with Harris at 2.0. He's actually even beating Harris with 1.6 targets per game compared to 1.4 for Harris. So even as a backup, he's getting a little bit more work as a receiver. I can imagine a scenario where he's sort of the main guy in a game and would actually be just as valuable, if not slightly more valuable from, than Harris from a fantasy perspective. So I think that is very intriguing if Harris ends up missing. Stevenson is a player that's going to be dramatically less expensive in DFS would suddenly become a very good option for you. Not in a good matchup per se, but getting enough work that I think he could end up being a running back too pretty comfortably this week. Now, scenario four is that neither Damian Harris nor Ramondre Stevenson plays. Uh, and from a DFS perspective, that's going to be a little bit trickier. I think the the implication here, or I guess the, the thought that many would have would be to roll with Brandon Bolden. He did step up in the players' absences in the fourth quarter last week and ended up with, I think, seven carries for the game. But I'll note that Bolden had never had more than four carries with the Patriots before Sunday. And after those first two guys suffered injuries, the Patriots didn't really have anybody else to rely on in the running game, which they had to run the ball. I mean, they were up by multiple scores against the Panthers. There was no reason to do anything else with a game script. But if we knew ahead of time that Harris and Stevenson were out, the Patriots would definitely activate other players. And I'm actually looking a little bit at J.J. Taylor as a sneaky option. Taylor seems small. He's only 185 pounds, but he's only five foot six as well. So from a BMI perspective, 29.9, kind of in range with Bolden, even though he's bigger at 220 pounds. He's also taller at 510, lands out at 30.7 BMI. And given Bolden's track record of never really carrying the ball a lot, I don't really think Bolden's role as a receiving back primarily would change. It's to me, it's Taylor who would probably end up getting more work. I would expect double-digit touches for him with Stevenson and Harris both being out if that ends up happening. And so that's, that's where I think he would end up being a sneaky value in a DFS league. It might lean that way as a way to, to potentially get some value late in the weekend. Now, from a DFS perspective, there are definitely running back question marks on the other sideline as well. Uh, Nick Chubb is on the COVID list as we speak. He is vaccinated by all accounts. So if he gets the two negative tests within 24 hours, he'll be able to go this week. And that would definitely change the game. But with him potentially being out, Kareem Hunt is still on injured reserve with his calf injury, is not going to play this week. Uh, and even Demetri Felton, I think, is going to be on the COVID list, might miss this game as well. Could be another situation like earlier this year where Dearness Johnson ends up being a substitute. And after how effective he was last time, I would I would absolutely play him at 5,400 in FanDuel for the week, even against a, what I would say is a tougher Patriots matchup. He was actually pretty close to neutral, a slight uh, low value here, $300 underpriced, in my mind, even with Chubb playing because he's getting that secondary work, but I think he would become a really nice value otherwise. Interesting quirk here. For the season, Chubb, Hunt, and Dearness Johnson rank first, third, and fourth in yards after contact per attempt among running backs with 25 or more carries per sport radar charting. Uh, you know, Aaron Schatz brought up this earlier in the year that it's it's unclear to him whether maybe there are some you know, external benefits, I guess, to a team with really good run blocking that leads to extra yards after contact, even though I would consider that, you know, intuitively as more of a, a skilled talent player issue himself. But whether it's Johnson is just a really good player that hasn't been getting opportunities because obviously Chubb, Chubb and Hunt are really good players too, or whether it's a situation where the Browns just have such a good run blocking that it leads to those extra opportunities. Whatever the case is, Johnson has been very effective so far this season, and I would trust him pretty nicely in that spot if Chubb ends up missing the game as well. Next up, Bills at Jets, 1 p.m. Eastern time in New York, 46 degrees and clear. Uh, my major storyline here is with Mike White. I was curious whether I was going to end up ranking him as a deeper league fantasy option 
or maybe even a DFS value for the week. He's obviously been tremendously successful over the last five quarters as an emergency starter behind Zach Wilson. He's had 500 passing yards and four passing touchdowns in those five quarters. Uh, unfortunately, missed most of the uh, last game. But one thing I'll note is there may be a slight difference here between the reputation of the teams that he's played and how they are as defensive units. So the last two games have been against the Bengals and the Colts. And uh, while they are both stronger defensively overall, they mu they're much stronger against the run in the pass. So they rank 13th and 2nd against the run, but 18th and 26th in DVOA against the pass. So I think with that split, it makes a little bit more sense that White and then eventually Josh Johnson last week had some success moving the ball through the air. And so I would say to me, this is going to be the big test for White, whether he can have success against the Bills. They're by far the number one DVOA pass defense on the season. They cut passing yards per attempt by 23%. They cut passing touchdowns per attempt by 40%. And they increase interception rate by 83%. Kind of alarming. All three of those adjustments there are top two in football. And so given that, and given that I run a projection system that's pretty conservative with players without much experience, like White doesn't really have, he ends up ranking 27th of the 28 starting quarterbacks this week in fantasy. I have him ahead of just P.J. Walker from a fantasy perspective. So while I think White may have promise, and it wouldn't honestly, it wouldn't stun me if it ended up being the rest of the season starter for the Jets, this just isn't a spot where I would look at him in fantasy. Wouldn't look at him in a DFS setting either. I just think it's too difficult of a matchup. I'd rather wait and see how he does. But if he does well in this matchup, then suddenly I'm going to be really intrigued for him for the rest of the way. Given that, you know, from a DFS perspective, it's probably a little surprise. I'm looking more at your Bills options than your Jets options. Uh, the, the wide receivers have been a little bit of a whack-a-mole situation. So let's look at running back, where I think Devin Singletary could be intriguing at 4,700 in DraftKings. I know that I've fallen for the Devin Singletary things a billion times. I've always liked him a lot more as a player. than that's led to fantasy success, given the splits the teams had. But this week could be an exception because Zach Moss... He ended up suffering a concussion last week, has yet to practice or clear concussion protocols. So to me, this is going to be a thing where if Moss does miss, I think Singletary is going to get more of an opportunity. He played 72% of snaps last week after Moss went out pretty early and saw eight targets. So that kind of fantasy workload, I think, would really work for you. Now, Matt Breida would likely end up being active next week, uh, this weekend. It, uh if Moss ended up being out, but I think Singletary would get a bigger piece of the pie than even Moss was traditionally getting with those two players. I just think Singletary and Moss may be similarly talented, uh, different skill sets, and Moss makes his more valuable from a fantasy perspective. But I think Singletary is probably more dramatically better than Brita, and therefore would get more like a, maybe not a bell cow workload, but like a workhorse workload in fantasy would make him probably a top 20 to 25 option for you. Uh, and from a DFS pricing perspective, that makes him a no-brainer start for the week at just 4,700 in DraftKings. Okay, next up, Lions and Steelers, 1 p.m. in Pittsburgh, 33 degrees and clear. And like I know, we're kind of headed towards the winter here, so the, the weather is going to start becoming more and more in, of a factor. But interestingly, this week, none of the games kind of get into that sub-30 degree Fahrenheit temperature range where I think the temperature really matters. We're also not expecting any wind or, or major rain or anything like that this weekend. So I don't think the weather is going to be too big of a concern. So for me, the major storyline here is whether Pat Fryermuth, the rookie Steelers tight end, has become a top 10 uh, fantasy tight end. And I would say it's it's kind of trending that way. So Juju Smith-Schuster got hurt prior to week six. And since week six, Fryermuth has jumped up to a 19.8% target share. That's the 10th highest among tight ends. And the workload more broadly has kind of increased as well. He's played 60%, 78%, and 71% of offensive snaps. The last three Steelers games, he'd played less than 60% all season to that point. 
So he would say, like, it doesn't necessarily make intuitive sense that Fryermuth would see his workload increase after Smith-Schuster being hurt, given that Smith-Schuster's a wide receiver. It just so happens that with the, the, the roster the Steelers have, they don't have a natural replacement for what Smith-Schuster was doing in the shallow parts of the field as a slot receiver. Uh, backups like, you know, uh, they're just like James Washington, for instance, he's more of a deep threat. They've got the rookie Cody White's going to probably be playing a little bit more, but none of them really have the shiftiness that you would expect from a slot receiver. And Deontay Johnson was kind of already part of the equation. So there's no, there's no major shift that has room for that there. I'll point out too for Frymuth, kind of interesting, 30.5% receiving DVOA. That's the fifth highest among qualified tight ends and the highest among tight ends with 30 plus targets. So you heard a lot in the preseason how Frymuth might end up being the next Heath Miller uh, for the Steelers, a long time great for the team. But like from a fantasy perspective, Heath Miller never really did much. You're like, eh, you're like, what does that really mean if from a fantasy player's perspective? But I think that's probably underselling what his fantasy opportunities are going to be the rest of the way. Eric Ebron has obviously been banged up and has never really lived up to his status as a top pick in, in a real life NFL draft. Now Chase Claypool, Mike Tomlin said, is week to week with a, with a toe injury. I'm not sure he's going to play this week. I think he probably isn't. So suddenly Fryermuth. I mean, he's obviously talented, but by default is going to end up being the second or third receiving option for this team going forward. And as such, I mean, from a DFS perspective, I think he's a no-brainer option at just 5100 in FanDuel this week. is $700 underpriced in my mind, kind of potentially trending even up from there. So I think he's a really good option for you this week. And probably going forward is going to be a top 10 option for you at the position in fantasy. All right, let's keep going. Buccaneers at Washington, 1 p.m. in Washington, 45 degrees and clear. Question being... Could either Tyler Johnson or Scotty Miller, the Buccaneers receivers, have some fantasy value given the other injuries the Bucs have at wide receiver and at pass catcher in general? You probably know about Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski. Brown had been in a walking boot, and while I think he's out of that, uh, I think his foot injury is lingering such that he's a big question mark if he's going to be able to play this week. Gronk, I definitely do not expect to play. Now, meanwhile, this week, Chris Godwin has been a kind of a surprising later addition to the injury reports. Given the Bucs are coming out of their bye, I just didn't really see this coming. But he has his own foot injury that he's dealing with. And if you made me guess right now on Friday, I would say that you're probably only getting one at most of that, of that uh, trio from a fantasy perspective this week is going to be able to play. So that's definitely going to open the opportunity for somebody. In recent weeks, it's been Tyler Johnson for sure. He's played 60% or more of snaps the last two Buccaneers game. He had been in that 15 to 30% range earlier in the season. And I've always liked Johnson from a fantasy perspective. He was actually a playmaker score sleeper back in the 2020 draft. Uh, he was a fifth round draft pick, but uh, our advanced sort of prediction stuff really liked him more than that. And I think he's been pretty effective in limited opportunities so far in his NFL career. So I think he, he would definitely have some potential value, but Scotty Miller Coming back from injured reserve as well. I mean, it's been foot injuries for all of these guys. I've got to say, he actually had a 13.2% receiving DVOA last season, was one of the more efficient wide receivers in the game. So honestly, both of these guys, I think, have potential value. Um, ideally, you'd probably wait and see a little bit, but you you may not have that opportunity if, if you know Godwin maybe only misses one game or Brown can come back in a week or so. So this may be an opportunity to strike while the iron's hot, maybe build some lineups with one and some of the other. I think both of them have the potential to have big games this week against a Washington defense. They just obviously has not lived up to the preseason expectation and has particular difficulties in the secondary, which could keep the Buccaneers passing, even though this is a game you'd probably expect them to win by a lot. I think they're maybe nine and a half or 10 point favorites from a, from a Vegas perspective. So, I mean, naming those names, it's obvious that I think both of them are pretty nice DFS values this week. But to give you another option for the Washington side of this, I'll point out J.D. McKissick at 5400 in Fandle, I think is $800 underpriced. 
I, I talk about this all the time, but the Buccaneers, they're the number one run defense. Um, I think they're maybe fourth by run defense DVOA right now, but they're the number one cutter of run plays at 44% per game. It's kind of dramatic compared to every other team. Teams have mostly just given up even trying to run against this Buccaneers front. This, you know, they rely a lot on the bare front and stuff using just the, the two uh, linebackers to kind of cut up those lanes. So I feel like it could be a, a situation where Antonio Gibson, even with the rest coming out of the bye, like I just don't think he's going to get a lot of work this game. If Washington's going to want to, you know, have some of those safer, easier opportunities, I think they'll rely a little bit more on the receiving back McKissick as a proxy for a run game because I just don't think they're going to be able to run the ball very effectively against the Bucs this week. All right. Um, we're, before we move on to the 4 p.m. slate, let me mention again that FO Plus is now on sale for just 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. It's a limited time offer where it gives you all of our stats, analysis, fantasy, and betting information. That includes my weekly projections, which are always a very helpful tool for, for both DFS and, and traditional leagues. Don't miss out on this limited time offer for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. Head to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the show description. All right, let's head over to the 4 p.m. window where we'll start with the Panthers at Cardinals, 4.05 Eastern time in the Dome in Arizona. Uh, there's some. This may not be a very fantasy-friendly game with the, the normal starting quarterbacks out, so let's talk about this from a longer-term perspective for Carolina because they just re-signed Cam Newton, their longtime starter. Um, I don't think he's going to start this week, but maybe in week 11 could end up being a, a starter going forward for the team with Sam Darnold landing on IR with a shoulder injury. So the question is mainly like what's going to change about the fantasy options for the Panthers if Newton's ends up being that starter for the rest of the way. I'll point out that Newton himself, like honestly, wouldn't surprise me if he's a bit of a good fantasy option. He averaged 17.9 fantasy points per game in 2020. That was the 15th highest among regular quarterbacks. And I'll say that while his shoulder injuries that have accumulated over the course of his career really affected his ability to pass the ball, I mean, really ever since 2017 or 18 or so, whenever it was, I thought that in the preseason, his throwing motion looked a lot better. Um, and it made sense for other reasons why the Patriots decided to move on. And Mac Jones obviously looked really strong in the preseason, has been a very effective quarterback from a real life perspective. So like, I don't necessarily think that was a big indictment of Newton that the Patriots moved on. I think Newton could end up having some really strong fantasy value here for the rest of the way. And I'll point out that while the Panthers have had really major issues from a pass protection standpoint, uh, they have a, an 8% adjusted sack rate is 26th in the league. They have been a little bit better from a run blocking perspective with 4.10 adjusted line yards. That's 22nd. Plus, I mean, with Newton, you know, running the zone read game, it's just a totally different offensive approach than what they were doing with, with Darnold is what they'll probably go with going forward. So I think that could lead to a more efficient running game for him and for Christian McCaffrey if, if both of them are able to stay healthy the rest of the way. Like, obviously, you don't need me to tell you to start Christian McCaffrey. It just doesn't matter what quarterback is out there. It's going to work for him. But if you're interested in the, the Panthers' pass-catching options, I'll say that DJ Moore, from a target share perspective, has been excellent this year. 28.7% is the sixth highest among wide receivers. But this could be a big dock to his value, unfortunately, because, you know, Darnold, for all of his difficulties, was averaging 34 pass attempts per game. I think he was top eight in the league in total pass attempts this season. Newton last year was 24.5% pass attempts per game. It's just, you know, almost 10 fewer per game. I don't know if the Panthers are going to run it exactly that way. They'll probably be trailing a little bit more in games than the Patriots were last season. But Newton being a run first guy, you just don't expect this to be a high volume passing offense. So I think that's going to hurt more, even with a similar target share. Plus, you know, Moore only had six total touchdowns in 2018 to 2019 and 31 combined games and Newton was the major quarterback for the team in that time. He, he, he got hurt a few times. So he played about half of those games, but 
you know, that was a big thing for, for Newton with the Patriots last year, where he wasn't targeting a lot of his wide receivers in the red zone. I think people interpreted that as being issues with him as a passer, but I think it's stylistic as much as anything else where, you know, Newton is such an effective, you know, third and short goal line type of runner himself that you just don't expect the Panthers to throw as much in the red zone, getting those opportunities for touchdowns for guys like Moore. I just think it's, it's a really bad news for Moore's fantasy value the rest of the way. Even that, you probably already were kind of out on Robbie Anderson. I think there's some interesting stats that I've noticed with him this week where he's seen a catchable target on just 49.1% of his targets this season. No other major wide receiver is below 55%. So, I mean, yikes on that front. So maybe Cam Newton, even with all of his inaccuracies, might be a bit of an upgrade there. But Anderson has also dropped 23% of his catchable targets this season. That's by far the most of the main guys. So you just think there's there's something wrong. I don't know if he's injured, whether there's a confidence issue, whether the dysfunction of the of the Panthers is just kind of seeping everywhere you can go. But I just I don't think that Newton is certainly going to be a revival for Anderson from a fantasy perspective. Now, from a DFS side of things, like obviously with the backups Walker and, uh, and Colt McCoy in here, there's not going to be a ton of guys that I'm going to suggest you rely on uh, from your DFS slates, but James Conner is one that I would make the exception for. He's 6,300 in DraftKings. I think that's $900 underpriced. The big thing here is that for the season, he's taken a major back seat as a receiver to chase Edmonds. He has 10 targets on the year versus 37 for Edmonds. But now that Edmonds is going to be out for a few weeks with an ankle sprain, I don't think it's going to be a, a sort of a tit-for-tat situation where Eno Benjamin just comes in and plays the receiving back role in the same way. It's because Connor, I mean... He's been very good as a receiver in his career. He's had 34 or more catches in 2018, 2019, and 2020 for the Steelers, even though he's missed three to six games each year because of various injuries. So far this season, I know it's only 10 targets, but 80% receiving success rate, that's tied for the highest among running backs with that volume of receptions or higher. So I think that Connor's going to be trending a little bit toward more toward a bell cow back in the short term for the Cardinals. As such, he lands in my top 10 in PPR formats this week at the position and ends up being a really nice value in DraftKings where I just don't think the, the pricing went up enough to capture what I think is going to be an expanded role for the team in the short term. All right, sticking at the 405 window, we got the Vikings at Chargers, 405 in Los Angeles in the Dome. Uh, this one's going to be tougher for me to talk about. I mean, I just don't have the legal expertise here, but the question is whether fantasy players should do anything related to the Dalvin Cook big news story you haven't seen much about this cook it sounds like is facing a lawsuit from a former girlfriend that alleged that he assaulted her and falsely imprisoned her it's been a confusing story i mean not just because you know most of us fantasy players don't have a lot of legal expertise but also because uh cook's legal team has alleged that the cook himself has been the victim of abuse and now extortion and it actually ended up that adam schepter original reporter of the story apologized on air for some of the initial uh, wording of the reports so, I mean, it's it's a confusing situation, no doubt. I mean, the best I can really say here is that NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy told Pro Football Talk that the league is going to review this under the personal conduct policy, but the status, at least in the short term, isn't going to change because this is a civil complaint, and you actually need criminal charges for the commissioner to put a player on the commissioner's exempt list, which, from my perspective, seems like a fast-track to discipline. This may be one of those situations where Cook isn't going to face any discipline, if he ever does, until, you know, the, the full process gets done from a legal perspective for week 10, I would say at least it seems pretty likely that cooks is going to play. And so I would say, you know, you could probably roll with them from a normal perspective if you don't really want to worry about the all field side of things. But I would say from a traditional league perspective, if you can, it would make a lot of sense to back him up with Alexander Madison. If he's still available on the waiver wire, or maybe you can trade for him for a less expensive uh, price in your, in your, your traditional formats. 
Uh, Madison actually had 32 touches in both weeks three and five that Cook ended up missing with ankle injuries. So as far as handcuff running backs go, he's probably one of the safer options in the league. And I, I don't think Kenny Nguyenu is going to is going to really change that equation. Even though we had the big fantasy day last week, it was more for the return, the touchdown return. I think that's probably his primary role for the team for the rest of the way. Cook status, which, whichever way that ends up unfolding. From a DFS perspective, I think, I mean, Cook would make sense, obviously, facing the number 32 DVOA run defense. Uh, probably a good opportunity for the Vikings to play their preferred brand of run-oriented football. But I would also look on the other side of things. I think Keenan Allen could have a ton of success. He's just 7200 in FanDuel. I think that's $500 underpriced. You know, Mike Williams was the big star of the early part of the season for the Chargers. He's playing the ex-receiver role that Michael Thomas had a ton of, obviously, fantasy success with with the Saints. Now that Joe Lombardi, former Saints coach, is the offensive coordinator with the Chargers. But his target share has really plummeted in recent weeks. It was at 25.2% in weeks one to five and is down to 13.4% since week six. I hate to say it, but it makes me wonder whether Williams might be playing through an injury again. Injuries have obviously been a big part of his career so far and a big limitation to why he hasn't you know, fully lived up from a stats perspective to his high draft stock. Uh, Allen, meanwhile, has shugged along since week six. He's at 25.9% target share. I think pretty clearly makes him a top 10 wide receiver in the game still, even with the changes this year. Meanwhile, the Vikings, while their defense has been kind of better from an overall perspective than it was last year when they suffered so many injuries, they did just lose Daniel Hunter again. Uh, meanwhile, their top 10 increasers of touchdowns per target for number one, number two, and slot wide receivers. Uh, so for their defensive successes, I think they are a good matchup for wide receivers in fantasy. So I think Keenan Allen is a really good option for you for the week uh, in DFS. Next up, we have the Eagles at Broncos, 425 Eastern time, Denver, 63 degrees and clear. I made this joke earlier, but it's weird to me that Denver is like 15 degrees warmer than every other game on Sunday this week. I just don't understand how the weather in that city works, given the mile high nature, but that's neither here nor there. The main narrative story here is whether you know, like Jalen Hurts or Melvin Gordon faces any concerns heading into the stretch run of the fantasy playoffs about their job security. Like For most of the year, I would have said that this was a, a, more of a Jalen Hurts problem than anything else. But it's interesting that from an overall perspective, he's looked pretty okay this season. A 0.3% passing DVOA puts him slightly above average. I would say if you get into the splits of this, you can kind of see why Hertz may not last very long as a professional quarterback. Uh, he's got 0.042 plus minus per aimed attempt behind the line of scrimmage. But then on the shallower throws in that 1 to 10 yard range, it's negative 0.066. Only Zach Wilson and Daniel Jones are worse. It gets good again the farther down the field you get. But those what I would call the, the like NFL quarterback throws in those shallow to intermediate parts of the field, that's really where Hurts is at his worst. And while the you know the Eagles have done a good job sort of scheming away from that, I don't think it's going to be a long-term fit for the team. But I'm not sure they're going to do anything about it the rest of the way. Like I'm not sure Gardner Minshew is so clearly an upgrade over Hurts, especially with what Hurts does on the ground and does from a leadership perspective, that they're going to make the switch. So, like, to me, if, if you would be worried about one of these two players, it would probably be more Gordon than Hurts the rest of the way. But I'll point out, too, that while Javante Williams has been a total revelation, he's the number two running back on the season with a 16.8% avoided tackle rate. Gordon is actually eighth at the position at an 11% there, too. So, honestly, this has been a really tremendous one-two punch. Uh, and if this was a team that I thought was heading toward the playoffs, like the way the, the Rams were last season, the way the, the – uh, the Ravens were last season. To me, it might make a little bit more sense to phase toward the rookie, the way those teams did with Cam Akers and J.K. Dobbins. But I think if the Broncos aren't going to be going anywhere, 
Like, why would they upset the apple cart here? Gordon's going to be a free agent in the offseason, but like, why be in a rush to put so much work on the rookie Williams when it's not going to lead to you having any postseason run here this season? So, like, maybe keep the workload a little bit lower on Williams, let him kind of break out more next year. So, honestly, where compared to where I was maybe even five weeks ago, I would say that both Hertz and Gordon are looking a little bit safer for me from a fantasy perspective the rest of the way. Maybe it isn't total panic time on their on their fantasy value in the back half of the season. From a DFS perspective, I'm looking at Jerry Judy again here, 6200 in FanDuel. I think that's $300 underpriced. Um, I've kind of gone down a little bit on him so far, but I would say that still for the year, he's seen a target on 19 of 116 total snaps. That's a 16.4% target share that would have him in the wide receiver two range over the full season. So I'm feeling pretty good about his fantasy value kind of independent of matchups. Um, but obviously the, the week one pace that had him kind of an outlier in that positive direction, that's regressed a little bit back since his return from injury. So I'm not sure that he's the, the clear slam dunk value that I would have said he was a, a week or two ago coming back from the injury. Okay, next up, Seahawks at Packers, 425 Eastern Time, Green Bay. 36 degrees and clear with 13 mile per hour winds. So probably a little bit more weather concerns here than in the other games, but still not the, the fearsome December Lambo type of start here. The major question here for me is whether the Packers are a bad matchup from an opposing fantasy player perspective. Like I, I kind of coming out of last year season, didn't really think the Packers were very good defensively, but if you look at it from a basic perspective this year, they're allowing just 20.0 points per game this season. That's the sixth fewest in football and it's fewer than, than teams that I consider to be pretty good defensively. Like the Panthers are at 20.3, Steelers 21.1, and the Rams 21.8. The Packers are less than all of those. So like from that perspective, you're like, man, maybe this is a really good defense. Maybe I should be scared even with Russell Wilson potentially being back for the Seahawks this week. But if you look at the advanced metrics, I think it tells a little bit of a different tale. The Packers are just 16th in overall defensive DVOA, pretty close to average overall. Although I will say there's a little bit of a split there where they're 12th against the pass with 22nd against the run. So some matchups may be better than others. But to me, this is a situation where the schedule strength has really played a big role with this. Uh, the Packers have faced the 19th most difficult schedule by DVOA so far in the first half. And here are the quarterbacks they faced. Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields, Taylor Heineke. It gets a little bit harder more recently with Kyler Murray, but he ended up, I think he was probably playing through an ankle injury through much of that game, ended up missing all the games since then. And Patrick Mahomes, who obviously has not been playing up to his typical standard. I don't know how much you want to give the Packers credit there or not, but either way, however you slice it, the Packers have faced a pretty easy slate of passers for the full season. It's going to get a lot harder going forward. They have the fifth toughest schedule by DVOA the rest of the season. So at this point, I'm going to say the Packers may be fine defensively, but they're not exactly a team I'm scared of. And if you're looking at Russell Wilson this week, I would confidently start him. I have him ranked seventh among quarterbacks. And probably more importantly, from a fantasy perspective, I think DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett shoot back up to their typical ranges. I have them 11th and 15th among wide receivers in PPR format, formats this week. So I think they're very nice options for you back, back to where they were before Geno Smith ended up being the starter for a few weeks. Uh, from a DFS perspective, this one's tougher because we don't really know what's going to happen with a running game. Uh, Chris Carson has missed a bunch of time with a neck injury, but got uh, designated to return from IR. Could be active for this game. I'm hoping that we find out for sure later today on Friday or on Saturday what's going to happen here. Because again, with this being a late window game, if you don't know going into the 1 p.m. when you, when you have to make your decisions, that's one when I'm not going to really want to ride these guys from a fantasy perspective. But if we know ahead of time and say that he ends up missing this game, I think Alex Collins becomes a decent fantasy option. He's 5,700 in FanDuel. That's a, a $500 underpricing if Carson doesn't play in my mind. 
It's because Collins is, I mean, he's been a bit of a, a workhorse back uh, in, in that absence there. 10 plus carries in five straight games. He's out-touched Rashad Penny, the former number one draft pick, 27 to 13 since the latter players returned from IR. So I think this is still very clearly a Collins backfield if Carson continues to miss time. But I would say, again, you got to watch that news because if Carson ends up coming back, I think he probably goes right back to being the lead back on the team. And that might be a situation where neither player has a ton of fantasy value if Carson can maybe have a, a slower return to the field after missing a bunch of time. Okay, a couple more games to hit on here, and then I'll get to your questions on YouTube. Uh, we got the Chiefs and Raiders for Sunday Night Football, 820 in the Dome in Las Vegas. Uh, the major storyline here, I've talked about this a little bit over the waiver wire discussion from earlier in the week, but like which Raiders receivers are going to benefit in fantasy from the Henry Ruggs release? From an absolute perspective, last week, you know, Brian Edwards and Zay Jones were both playing 90% or more of snaps. So they're the clear top outside guys, kind of that role Ruggs was playing. But both saw just four targets last week. I don't think they're going to have a ton of value, even if they get that playing time going forward. Meanwhile, the team added Deshaun Jackson as a free agent this last week after the Rams cut him. You know, Jackson had just 15 targets in eight games with the Rams this season. Uh, he's he's continued to be efficient through the back half of this career. I think he's 35 years old at this point or maybe turning that in December. Uh, and he's, again, he's he's had a, a positive DVOA for a lot of his career, but he was negative for the first time in 2020 in a while. And he's just, he had 10 targets and 26 targets those last two years. He's just suffered so many injuries that like maybe from a DFS perspective, if you want a pop kind of play, like a high up, high upside, low floor kind of play. But from a traditional standpoint, I just don't think it's likely you're going to get a ton of volume either based on the role or based on the fact that it may be tough for him to stay healthy fully over the rest of the season. So if I'm looking for one receiver to benefit here, it's, it's honestly, it's Hunter Renfro, even though he's not really replacing what Ruggs did on the field at all. He's fully a slot receiver, but you saw sort of subtle increases in his opportunities this last week with a 65% target share. He was typically in that sort of 55% range earlier in the year. He had nine targets. He had hit that total before, but it had been five to eight targets between weeks two and eight. So I think it's a very small, subtle type of increase, but it could lead to, to, to some extra opportunities. And Renfro was already pretty close to fantasy relevant as is. So I think he may be a good flex option for you going forward in your PPR leagues. I think he's a bit of a value in DFS this week as well in what I think is a good matchup against the Chiefs. But from a DFS perspective, I mean, honestly, this is kind of like the Seahawks where you're hoping for clarity on the running back situation before we even get to the 1 p.m. window because Clyde Edwards-Alaire has been on IR but got activated could potentially come back this week, and if he does, it's obviously going to erase all of his backups value. But if CEH ends up missing this game, and I think Daryl Williams might be a value for you at 6,900 in FanDuel. Uh, he's actually saw 19 touches uh, versus 11 for Derek Gore in week eight, and I thought maybe this was trending towards more of a split backfield. But last week, he reasserted himself with 22 versus four touches compared to Gore. So I think you can say pretty confidently that Williams would be the main guy this week if Clyde O'Dellaire does end up missing the game. But again... Look and see what the news says before the 1 p.m. window before you lock him into your lineups because you could easily get to that you know 8 p.m. range and then not get what you're looking for from a fantasy perspective. One more game is the Monday night game, Rams at 49ers, Monday at 8.15 in San Francisco, 65 degrees and clear. Uh, is Brandon Hayek back from fantasy? That's my main question here. He averaged 20.9 PPR points per game between weeks 7 and 15 last season. That was the third highest among all wide receivers, just like amazing. He obviously started the season in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. I think it related to sort of bad practice habits based on reading on, of those tea leaves. But Ayak has been trending back from a, from a snap share perspective from 67% in week four. He's up to 71, 71, 88, and now 93% over 
over the last four 49ers games, had six catches for 89 yards and a touchdown on eight targets in week nine. And Shanahan's been very complimentary about him over the last two weeks to the press, talking about how he's turned a corner. So I think he's trending back towards real fantasy relevance. I'm still kind of low on him from a rest of season perspective. I have him 46th among PPR wide receivers. But part of that is coming from the fact that Trey Lance has a chance to start over the rest of the year, and that's going to really skew the, the team more towards the run and away from the pass. So I think for, for as long as Jimmy Garoppolo is starting, I think that, that Ayuk is probably going to end up being in the flex range right now. I think he's a really nice pickup if he's still available on the waiver wire. And I would, you know, it's not going to be a great start here against the Rams, but I think he could have some fantasy value the rest of the season. I'll throw in a little bonus storyline here. Again, I mentioned earlier that I thought Odell Beckham was going to go to the Saints, but ended up last minute signing with the Rams. Kind of a bit of a weird fit. I mean, I've been very, very impressed, honestly, with what I've seen from second-year wideout Van Jefferson, and I assume Beckham is going to play more of that role as the third receiver, the sort of field-stretching receiver, um, whereas you know Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are more of the interchangeable, like jet-sweepy, middle-of-the-field type of guys. Um, the interesting thing with Beckham is that like my call would be that it's been about a 50, 50 blame between him and the Browns offense for his struggles from a fantasy perspective. So with the team since 2019, negative 0.085 plus minus per catchable target. That's the seventh lowest among wide receivers. That's a depth adjusted stat. So it's basically saying that like, like here are the opportunities he's gotten, like how often has he caught the ball in those circumstances? It's been really bad, but only seen 61.6% catchable target rate since 2019. That's also the seventh lowest. So I would say that like, you know, Baker Mayfield or that offense with, with the styling of it, whatever the case may be, Beckham wasn't getting the opportunities that he used to have in New York. And he also wasn't doing as much with the opportunities that he did get. Clearly the opportunities are going to be better with a more pass happy offense with an offense with Stafford that can really work down the field, you know, probably play better to, to Beckham's strengths. But, you know, it's still it's still kind of a crowded opportunity here. So I'm not sure how great of a fit he's going to be from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I, let's put it this way. I bet his his trade value from a fantasy perspective is higher than I would be willing to pay for him. That's probably where I would settle out on this. Or from a DFS perspective, um, I'll go back to the 49ers, but I'm going to look at the running game, Elijah Mitchell. I've been riding him a lot so far this season. I just haven't understood why nobody's been buying into him. 60% of snaps played in all six of his healthy games. He did snap a streak of 17 to 19 carries, which that was his first four starts with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback, 17 to 19 carries. He only had eight last week, but he also had a season high of five targets. And what I would say is that demonstrates a little bit of a matchup or game script insulation, whereas before he was kind of, you know, running the ball a lot, but not getting a lot of targets. Given that the 49ers fell behind last week and needed to pass a bit to catch up, they still relied on Mitchell. They just did more from a passing perspective than rushing perspective. That makes me feel good. And the Rams aren't a terrifying matchup from a fantasy perspective for running backs. They were second in run defense DVOA last year, just 14th this week, but still could be a game that the 49ers fall behind. I feel good that Mitchell could still get work and that opportunity going forward there. All right, let's get to this question on YouTube. Uh, as mentioned a couple of times, Football Outsiders is live Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can watch us on YouTube and chat there, but also stream us live on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, Jared Brugler asks, who do I drop for Russell Gage, Gronk, Adrian Peterson, Alexander Madison, given that he's got him as a Dalvin Cook hand cuff, or what I'm assuming is Mark Ingram here. I would say you don't want to drop Gronk, AP, or Madison pretty much in any format. Like this is the time of the year where you're looking for the, the highest upside plays potentially for the fantasy playoffs, assuming you're tracking toward it. So like I'm not going to drop any of those guys to pick up Gage, who I think kind of peaks at potentially a flex value. But like Mark Ingram – to me, he's not going to be, you know, I guess he technically is a handcuff, I guess, for Alvin Kamara, but he's going to peak at a flex value as well. 
So if you have some struggles at wide receiver, maybe you need to fill in a buy specifically. That would be a move that I would be comfortable making. Although from a from like an overall value perspective, I still probably would stick with Ingram over Gage. I just think they're going to be extra options at wide receiver versus running back the rest of the way. And I don't think Gage is going to tremendously move the needle for you. Before I head out, let me mention too, FO Plus is on sale for 99 cents a week for annual subscriptions. Head to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe or follow the link in the description of the show to get in on that. We would appreciate it. Uh, and meanwhile, you know, best of luck in your fantasy matchups in week 10. I hope you're trending toward the fantasy playoffs. Uh, however it checks out for you this week, I'll be back next Tuesday to talk waiver wire with Derek Klassen. We'd love to see you then. And then we'll get all of the great FO streaming stuff next week, Monday through Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time. Thanks so much for sticking with me as the solo show. Hope I didn't bore you too much. And we will catch you again next week. 